0: Good morrow, friends. I'm Jordan, and this is Not Strictly History. Hello, 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 everyone. It's great to see you. Welcome back to Not Strictly History for episode number two. Now we're just gonna jump right into this um, because as you may or may not have noticed, episode one was pretty long. Thank you for coming with me on the Al Capone ride. Today, we are gonna be talking about Julius Caesar, which I know you already know because you clicked on the episode, which has a title. So Julius Caesar, what, what can one say about him? You know, I have always been curious about Julius Caesar. I was actually in the play in high school, which is another story entirely, but I never really knew that much about him, to be completely honest. And so I thought to myself, hey, Why don't I do an episode about Julius Caesar? That way I can know more about him. Maybe other people can know more about him if they feel so inclined. And let me tell you something, friends. Let me tell you. When it comes to Julius Caesar, there are three words that I think describe him the very best. Those three words are politics, politics, and politics. You heard me correctly. Julius Caesar's biography is literally just a whole bibliography of political office. That's how it felt. And even though I am a historian trained as such, okay, I have a master's degree, but not, I just, oh, how do I even, how do I say this in a professional way? I might be a historian, but when I got finished, researching Julius Caesar, my brain felt like a pile of goo. So it's really important that I do this episode in such a way that I keep you all interested, because there are some really fascinating aspects of his life and career, and I think it's important to talk about. So let's get right into it. So Julius Caesar was born on July 12th, 100 B.C., Um, He was born into a family that had a really long pedigree. They were, in other words, they were really well known. Um, But his father's side of the family, you know, the quote unquote important side, um, they weren't necessarily influential politically. They were just really well known. It was actually his mother's side of the family that was very politically influential and had much more sway in that general area, which I love, like, get it, girl that's another story for another time. So, his mother's side of the family was really influential politically. Now, we really don't know anything about Julius Caesar's childhood. What we do know is that his father died really suddenly when Julius Caesar was about 16, which made him the head of the family. Now, obviously, this is a long time ago, so maybe when he was 16... He was a lot more mature than a 16-year-old would be these days because if you think about a 16-year-old today just becoming the head of a really important family, that's a little bit scary. i am It's just a generalization, okay? I'm not here to offend anybody. I'm just making a general observation. If I had been made the head of my family at age 16, a lot of things would be different. Let's just say it that way, Okay? So at this time, he also, well, around this time, he also became a high priest, which is really, really intriguing. Julius Caesar held various religious offices throughout his life, which I did not know. So he was the high priest of the god Jupiter, um, which is really, really amazing. And fun fact, being the high priest of Jupiter came with a lot of rules, So one of those rules was the high priest could not, number one, touch a horse. I don't know the reason behind any of these, okay? If any of you are like Roman scholars and know the answers to that, let me know. So he could not touch a horse. He could not sleep three nights outside of his own bed or one night outside of Rome. And perhaps most significantly, he could not look upon an army. And you're thinking to yourself, self, I thought Julius Caesar was like a military dude. How is this the case if he was this high priest who could not even touch a horse or look at an army? I am here to answer that and say, there's an app for that. No, 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 no. There's a remedy for that. Well... I don't know if remedy is the right word. Let's get into it, okay? So, Julius Caesar's first wife was named Cornelia. And by, with everything that we know about their marriage, I think it was actually quite loving and, which is really, really intriguing. She was the daughter of a man named Cinna, not Hunger Games, um, who was his, was Julius Caesar's uncle's political ally. So he and Cornelia were married about-ish this time, and they had one child together. They had a daughter named Julia. Um, so he's married to Cornelia, they have a little girl, and he is the high priest of Jupiter. Okay, and then, dun-dun-dun, civil war breaks out. Okay, Civil war breaks out in Rome, and Julius Caesar's uncle lost. He lost this civil war, and his opponent, whose name was Sola, won, and this brought a lot of consequences for good old JC, Julius Caesar, okay? So one of the consequences of this was that he was stripped of his wealth of his title, all of his lands, all of his money. Okay, he was also stripped of his priesthood. So this opens the door for him to have a military career. He was also asked to divorce Cornelia by Sola. Now Sola basically said, "Hey, if you don't divorce your wife, who is related to my enemy, um, I'm going to kill you." And Julius was like, "Actually, no, I'm not going to divorce my wife." And he went into hiding. And this is one of the reasons, I guess, that you could say a lot of people think that their marriage was very loving and that they cared a lot for each other. Because it would have been pretty easy for him to divorce Cornelia and to stay in Rome and try and get his life together, but he wouldn't do it. And instead, he left Rome and went into hiding. So Julius Caesar is now in hiding. Now, this this is kind of a... I don't know if it's the best way to say it. I got that from, obviously, one of my resources. I'm not sure how much of in hiding he was because it was at this time that he also joined the military. So maybe he was in hiding for a while and then thought to himself, hey, I should probably do something with my life. I'll join the military. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, He didn't write a diary. Would have been really helpful. But that wasn't a thing back then. So this is when he joins the military. And he's away from Rome, obviously, so that Sola, who is now in charge, doesn't kill him. Um, but do you remember how I talked about Julius Caesar's mom's family, their political influence? This is where that comes super into handy. Into handy? That can't be a phrase. Okay. This is where that plays a part. Okay. Julius Caesar's mother's family was able to use their influence to sway Sola, basically, and the threat was lifted off of his life. So he could now come back to Rome and try and get himself together. He actually didn't do that, though. He he decided to stay away from Rome just in case Sola changed his mind, which was probably an okay decision. And he stayed in the military, and he won, actually, like a—what is it? Oh, what was it called?— I didn't write it down because I'm silly. He won an award for his service in the military. I can't remember exactly what it was called. That's upsetting. But he won an award. And then Sulla eventually died in 78 BC. And that is when Julius Caesar returned to Rome. So when he was back in Rome after Sulla's death, he turned to legal advocacy and he was known for his oratory skills. Everybody was like, bro, have you been to the courts lately? Julius Caesar is tearing it up. Probably that was a headline in the newspaper that definitely existed. He was also known for prosecuting the former governors who were accused of extortion and corruption. And when he did this, he was absolutely ruthless with them. And this, this got him... How does this this made julius caesar really popular among the people and i think i think it was it was these several experiences you know losing his home fortune respect having to join the military and start all the way over and then you know becoming this, this legal advocate which sounds basically like a lawyer i think it was all these things that really endeared julius caesar to the people because we're going to see later how he was able to do many of the things he was able to do because the Roman people in general loved and supported him very much. And I think that that's where all of this began. So around this same time, he's a legal advocate. He's, you know, he's doing the thing. He was crossing the Aegean Sea at this time. I'm not exactly sure why. He was just out vibing, going somewhere. Okay, so he's he's out on the sea, and he is captured by pirates. This story is one of the only things I ever knew about Julius Caesar. I'm pretty sure it's fairly well known. If you don't know it, don't feel bad. But it's like, probably the most iconic thing that he ever did. As if he let himself. Anyway, it's iconic, okay? He's captured by pirates, and they demanded a ransom of 20 talents in order to release him. And he said to them, I cannot even believe that you would ask for a sum that is so low, that is so beneath me. How dare you? You have to increase the ransom or like, even if you get it, I'm not going. So they increased it to 50. Again, iconic. And another thing, while he was with these pirates, he joked with them all the time about like, okay, when you get your ransom and I'm safe, like, I'm going to come back and kill you. Ha ha, it's going to be this crazy bloody revenge. And it was like this joke between them. But then, later, after he was ransomed and rescued and all of that, he actually did go back and kill all of them in a very brutal way. So, I think that joke wasn't funny anymore. I think you could safely say that. And then... After this whole revenge plot, um, he goes back into military action. And after he's in military action for a while, he comes back to Rome, and he is elected military tribune. Now this, 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 oh goodness, I was going to say state, not the correct word. This position is, it was an officer in the army, and it was seen as a stepping stone into the Senate, which is basically... The very it was his first little toe in the door to having a real kind of genuine political career. You know, at this time he had dabbled in legal things um, and and thus in politics a little bit. But once he was elected military tribune, this gives him really what he needs in order to start becoming a political fellow. So come with me, if you will, to 69 BC. This year was a really big year for Julius Caesar. He was elected as a public official, so politics is like raging for him. But also, Cornelia passed away. I tried to look into this. There's not a whole lot of information. I'm not sure how she passed away. I'm not sure if he was super sad or devastated or anything. I'm assuming that he probably was since we're fairly sure they loved each other, he was probably pretty sad about it. So, that's rough. (laughs) It's a rough time. Cornelia passed away. That actually made me really sad. Um, but he's a public official now, and he had to take office. Two years later, so now we're in 67 BC, Julius Caesar remarried. He married a woman named Pompeia, and she, fun fact, she was the daughter of his former enemy Sola. He marries Pompeia, K okay, in 67 BC. And in 63 BC, so we're four years later now, he becomes another, we're at a we're at a high priest again, okay? We're in a religious point. But he like this isn't just any old high priest, okay? In 63 BC. Julius Caesar was elected as the chief high priest of the Roman state religion. Big deal, okay? Huge deal. And the the name of this office was Pontifex Maximus. So he became the Pontifex Maximus in 63 BC. So 61 BC rolls around, okay? And a scandal breaks out. I feel like I need to change my voice for this because it's so scandalous so this event is known as the Bonadia scandal if i'm not pronouncing that correctly forgive me i'm not a roman historian so this scandal is is takes place in a religious ceremony okay so there's this really important religious ceremony that happens in the house of the Pontifus Maximus, and this ceremony is a women-only ceremony, which I think is pretty neat. And it is the wife of the Pontifus Maximus. It is her explicit duty to oversee this ceremony, to lead it, to make sure that everything goes according to plan. So Pompeia is doing this. She's overseeing this religious ceremony. And a man disguised as a woman sneaks into the ceremony. Let's pause for a moment and talk about how not okay that was. This is a pause to let you know that was not okay. So he was caught and put on trial. And he basically told them, hey, I disguised myself as a woman and snuck into this religious ceremony because I wanted to seduce Pompeia. And everybody was like, what? OMG. This is crazy. And this part is pretty nuts too, okay? Because of this, Julius Caesar divorced Pompeia. And it's pretty well known, it's documented in many, many places, that he did not divorce her because he thought she was guilty of anything he did not think that she was unfaithful or bad in any way, but it was just very, very strict that there could not be any scandal in the house of the Pontifex Maximus. It had to be above reproach in every way, and so he divorced Pompeia. I'm not entirely sure what happened to her after that. I'm not entirely sure how she felt or how I would feel if I were in that situation, A lot of the time we try to put ourselves in these situations and we forget how different things were back then. I think one of the things about history that we have to remember is how different things were, but at the same time, people are always human, you know? So if their marriage was at least amicable and they did well together, I can imagine that this whole scandal and having to divorce Julius Caesar would have been at the very least uncomfortable for her. Um, but this is just me speculating. So they were divorced in 61 BC. So I'm going to summarize a little bit because as I said in the beginning, a lot, a lot of politics. Okay. In order to get through Julius Caesar's life, guys, we're just summarizing. There is so much that happens just a lot. And I honestly don't even know how to talk about it. So after this, he holds a bunch of other political offices. And he actually had a lot of debt, apparently. And in order to pay this debt, he, asked, he offered rich citizens his political support, and they would pay off his debts. And another interesting thing is that in Rome at this time, if a Roman, if a citizen, because, you know, not everybody's considered a citizen, a citizen... Um, if a Roman citizen had debt, that was actually grounds to prosecute him. And so Julius Caesar was like, hey, going to fix that. So he proposed a bunch of laws that changed that so that he wouldn't be prosecuted for being in debt. Cheated the system. Um, and also, there were a lot of offices that he won where it's very well known that he used a lot of bribery to win. Now, a kind of a dichotomy in this area is... Again, I mentioned this earlier. The people loved Julius Caesar a lot. And so, I'm not sure how super necessary the bribery actually was for him to win or if the bribery was just a way for him to like make sure he won because his political opponents were willing to do a lot of shady things in order to try and stop him. And so I'm you know, I'm wondering was this bribery just a countermeasure to their To their actions? I'm not sure. We do know that he used a lot of bribery. I'm not trying to justify that. I'm trying to sit here and figure out how and why he had to use bribery if the people loved him so much. Let me know if you have any thoughts on that. Because I think it's a really, really interesting little tidbit. We are now in an area of Julius Caesar's life that is very well known, In the historical community it's one of the things he's most well known for it's a really big deal okay and this is the era of his life where he created a political alliance known as the first triumvirate again i'm not a roman historian i don't know how to pronounce that triumvirate triumvirate yeah that that one's probably it um anyway so this political alliance okay This alliance consisted of Julius Caesar, a man named Pompey, and a man named Crassus. All of these three men together had enough money and influence in order to control a lot of the business that was going on in Rome. So they were like, hey, if we come together and like, you know, help each other out, we can make a lot of stuff happen. So in order to kind of cement this alliance, um, Julius Caesar had his daughter, Julia, married to Pompey, And Julius Caesar also remarried. He married a woman named Calpurnia, who was the daughter of a really powerful senator at the time. I looked into Calpurnia a little bit because she is married to Julius Caesar until the end of his life. And at the time that they were married, she was probably about 17, which actually made her younger than Julia, who was now her stepdaughter. Interesting little fact. So these two marriages really helped cement this political alliance because Julius Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus were not... I mean, I wouldn't necessarily have called them enemies before this, but they weren't like chummy, okay? They weren't pals. Um, And so... This kind of cemented everything together. And then this political alliance was made public. Um, so this law was proposed that was for the redistribution of public lands. And all three of these men supported this law. And everybody was like, okay, they're not friends. So this absolutely means they're now in some kind of alliance. So this this law for public redistribution of land made everybody know, okay, we got a pretty powerful alliance in the house. and. They were right. They did. So, we're going to summarize some more. We need to jump ahead because the next little bit of time is crazy. A lot, a lot of stuff happens to Julius Caesar. He becomes a governor in various outer provinces in the Roman Empire. Um, He goes to Gaul. He tries to conquer the tribes there. He has a lot of victories. He has some defeats. He wanted to conquer Gaul because he wanted a, a base there a base so that he could invade Britain, which he did try to do. He eventually tried to invade Britain. It did not work. Um, for, for various reasons. It didn't work because he didn't know a lot about Britain, the terrain or the people there. And at the same time, there was a lot of civil strife going on in Gaul. So the whole like I have a base camp here thing wasn't working out. So they he abandoned the Britain idea he went back to Gaul to try to smooth things over, and eventually Gaul was effectively conquered, brought into the empire. Okay, so he's just off, like bebopping around. Okay, doing all this stuff, and at this time, his daughter Julia, who again is married to Pompey, his political ally, Julia passed away in childbirth, and then Crassus, their other political ally, he was killed in a failed invasion of Parthia. So this political alliance is crumbling. Okay. It's, it's just like, like an old chocolate chip cookie just running away. Okay. This left Julius Caesar and Pompey as the only ones left and a civil war happens. Okay. Julius Caesar's followers, Pompey's followers start this whole civil war and Pompey is defeated in 48 BC. At this time, Julius Caesar was appointed dictator in Rome with Mark Antony as his second-in-command. Now, come with me on this, friends, okay? Mark Antony was his second-in-command, but do you know what the official title was for the person who was second-in-command? No? Okay, I'm going to tell you. Mark Antony's title as second-in-command was Master of the Horse, and I love that More than I know how to say. Just gonna throw that out there. So let's talk about the office of dictator, okay? At this point, Julius Caesar's back in Rome. Pompey is defeated, he's gone. Julius Caesar is appointed dictator. Now, in our modern world, we have this view of what a dictator is. A Roman dictator was very, very different than what we think of when we hear the word dictator. So a dictator was a political office. And it was, a, it was a legal magistrate. His job as a dictator was to basically iron out really sticky legal cases. And I'm thinking of him kind of like the Supreme Court in the United States, to be honest. If there was a specific issue that several courts or several other public officials could not seem to figure out, It was given to one of the dictators, and they were given full authority to resolve this issue and then all of the resources they need in order to um, enforce their decision. So, as a dictator, he's not like a, a, he's not this absolute monarch or something. It's literally just this legal office. They do have a lot of power. Don't get me wrong. I mean, thinking about this, depending on what the case is, they get the final decision. You know, independent of any other public official, there's a lot going on. However, it's important to note that a dictator in Rome was very different from the way that we now define the word. Okay, let's talk about Egypt, shall we? For those of you who didn't know that Egypt played a huge role in Julius Caesar's story, I'm there with you. I didn't know this until I was pretty old to be honest maybe 20 years old I didn't know and and the reason that I didn't know is because it's like a it's like a crossover you know it's like this multiverse crossover situation you know you don't really think of Egypt as we think of Egypt and Rome as having meshed however they did and that's when you know we're here that's when this happened so julius caesar's in rome he's the dictator i mentioned pompey okay pompey was defeated but he actually was not dead he was alive and he had fled to egypt and so julius caesar decided hey i'm going to go after him now to be completely honest i don't know what the end game was here i have no idea why he went after him and i'm going to tell you why because while Pompey was in Egypt, he was actually assassinated there. And his head and his ring, his, one of his important rings, was brought to Julius Caesar when he arrived in Egypt. And when Julius Caesar received his head and his ring, he cried. He wept. And he actually had Pompey's assassins killed. And so there's a lot here. You know, there's a lot we could unpack here. I'm not sure why Julius Caesar was so upset because you're thinking he went after Pompey in order to kill him, right? I mean, is that is that fair to say? He goes after his political opponent in order to kill him, make sure he's not going to come back and cause a ruckus. But he was really really upset when he was brought when his head was literally brought to him, which is incredibly gruesome, and had his assassins killed. Now, Egypt. Okay, we're in Egypt at this time. Cleopatra and her husband, who was also her brother, hashtag Egypt, they were ruling, okay? They were the pharaoh and his wife. What is... The pharaoh's wife doesn't have a title, does she? I should have asked my younger sister. She loves Egypt. Cleopatra and her husband slash bro were ruling, okay? And a civil war begins. There is a lot of civil war in this story, okay? Okay. Maybe I should have begun the, the episode talking about that. So the civil war begins, and Cleopatra's husband was actually one of the people. He was actually the person who had ordered Pompey to be killed. So Julius Caesar was like, "Hey, I'm here in Egypt. Might as well get involved." And brother slash husband killed Pompey. So I'm gonna give my support to Cleopatra, and they won. And Cleopatra was instated as the sole ruler of Egypt. Now, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the fact that Julius Caesar and Cleopatra were together because they were, fam. Julius Caesar and Cleopatra had a romantic relationship. They were together for quite a while. Um, I find this intriguing in in many, 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 many ways, okay? Okay they had a relationship all throughout Julius Caesar's last marriage, okay? And this was actually not considered adultery because Cleopatra was not a Roman citizen. So he could not get in trouble for adultery or anything like that because, again, Cleopatra wasn't a Roman citizen. She would come to visit Rome and she would stay at Julius Caesar's villa. Crazy, okay? All of this is so crazy because I know when we think of Cleopatra. We're not thinking that she was just hanging out by the pool at Julius Caesar's house, but that did happen. And this, again, got me thinking about his other wife, his last wife, Calpurnia. How did she feel about all of this, do you suppose? I mean, the queen of Egypt is just rolling in to stay with them, and she also happens to be her husband's mistress. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. A lot going on. What we do know about Calpurnia is that she was always considered very humble and very faithful, even though Julius Caesar actually had a bunch of affairs, not only with Cleopatra th- during their marriage. So I kind of feel bad for Calpurnia. By that, I feel really bad. By that, I mean, I feel really bad for Calpurnia. She deserved better, don't we all? So. Julius Caesar and Cleopatra are together and they had a son. Now, this son, Ptolemy the 15th, also known as Caesarian, he was unacknowledged by Julius Caesar. So, a lot of historians will say things like, Well, we don't know for sure because Julius Caesar never said, like, no, literally, no, we're not going to go down that path, okay? Ptolemy the 15th, Caesarian, was Julius Caesar's son, okay? Do not come at me with your technicalities. I, we, like, no, okay? They had a son together and he actually ruled with Cleopatra until her death and then for a few weeks alone until he died. But we're going to get into that in a little bit. So again, Julius Caesar and Cleopatra have this relationship. They have a son, dot, 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 etc. We're, we're summarizing again, people. Let's get ahead to Julius Caesar's assassination, because besides the event itself, I want to talk about all the things that led up to it and all of these things, because his relationship with Cleopatra and everything that was going along, going on in his political career at the time, does have a part in this, and I think that that is important to understand. Okay, so Julius Caesar was assassinated on March 15th, 44 BC, the Ides of March. Fun fact, I actually started researching for this episode on March 15th, and it was slightly creepy and freaked me out, okay? But as you may or may not know, this is when Julius Caesar was killed, and he was in the Senate, on the Senate floor, and 60 men came, and stabbed him a total of 23 times. Mathematically, this doesn't add up. I get that. However, 60 men were implicated, and he was stabbed 23 times. And he died, okay? Before this happened, a lot of other things happened. Julius Caesar, at this time, held a lot of different political offices, and this is what made him very threatening to the people in the senate. Now, growing up and at, like as a historian hearing all these things about Julius Caesar, I always thought, and again, having been in the play in high school and you know, reading the Shakespearean script and everything, I always just assumed that the reason everybody wanted to assassinate him was because he was basically becoming this absolute monarch, you know, he was days away from getting rid of the whole government and just taking everything over and being this horrible tyrant. That's what I've always thought. That was not the case. And that was shocking to me. He was really, really, really powerful at this time. And the reason is because he held a lot of different political offices at one time that gave him a lot of power and a lot of influence. And not only this, um, but again, The people loved Julius Caesar, absolutely loved him. At this time, he had instituted a new constitution. He had changed the calendar. Endless amounts of legislation and reform were happening from him. He had also stacked the Senate. And so all of these things are happening, and his opponents, you know, people are starting to get worried because even though the system itself is still, quote unquote, running the way that it should... They understand that Julius Caesar is getting to this point where he's, he's basically an absolute monarch. You know, he's a would-be divine monarch. His opponents are really, really afraid of how much power he's getting and potentially what could happen. At this point, Julius Caesar was actually given the official title, Father of the Country. And so people were just scared, essentially, and he was assassinated. Now, this is an interesting story. The night before he was killed, his wife, Calpurnia, actually had a dream that he was wounded and he died in her arms, bleeding. And she said to him the next day, hey, I had this dream, blah, blah, blah. I really, really, really don't want you to go to the Senate today. And she was so passionate about it and so upset that he decided, okay, I I won't go to the Senate today. But one of the people who was in the plot to kill him came to his house and eventually persuaded him to go to the Senate where he was killed. And it's recorded that after he was killed, Calpurnia fled from their home into the streets with a bunch of her servants and their slaves, and she was distraught and weeping and very, very upset, you know, because her husband was assassinated. But um, apparently she took... Julius Caesar's will and a bunch of his really important legal papers to Mark Antony who was still Julius Caesar's most trusted ally. Another thing that happened directly after this, Julius Caesar was killed and he was just left on the steps of the Senate. People just left his body there and they went running through Rome yelling, we're free, we're free again, yay we did it, Like we're saved from the tyrant essentially is what they were saying. News flash, fun fact, whatever expression you want to put in there, this did not go well for them. People were really upset because, again, the Roman people loved Julius Caesar. And so all of these men were thinking, hey, we're going to get our quote unquote freedom back. We're going to save the Republic. That didn't happen because Julius Caesar was basically deified. He was eventually legitimately deified, but I think his death made him that way pretty much immediately. And his nephew Octavian, who was his heir, became the first Roman emperor shortly after that. And he was actually the one who had um, Caesarion killed, which is a really weird like mix and is also incredibly sad. So this whole assassination in order to save the country really backfired on them, I think. (laughs) I think we could safely say that because Julius Caesar became this mythical god, essentially. And his nephew was made an emperor, and there goes the republic. And that, my friends, is the very, very, very summarized version of Julius Caesar. So let's talk about it for just a second more. What surprised you about this story? What didn't surprise you about this story? Let me know. Again, politics, politics, politics. I can't even tell you. I don't know how to explain to you how much summary had to happen in this story. But one of the things that... I don't know if impressed is the right word. One of the things that kind of just stuck out to me the most is that julius caesar used the system he knew how to use the system and he used it to his advantage and that was not only the making of him but that was also his downfall and the when when i got finished with my first outline of this episode part of me was thinking oh my gosh he was actually so awesome he didn't deserve to be assassinated and then as i was going through and refining this episode and cutting it down and doing more research I realized, I don't think I'm Team Julius Caesar. Now, I don't think he deserves to be assassinated, but I just genuinely don't appreciate the way that he cheated on all of his wives and then didn't acknowledge his children. And again, I have two degrees in history. I understand that that's not the way that it was, but I'm also, I'm allowed to have, I'm allowed to have this opinion, okay? And... It's just, it's intriguing for so, so many reasons, but mostly I just wonder what could have happened, you know? If he had not been assassinated, maybe he would have proclaimed himself emperor and done all of those things that the people were afraid that he did. But again, they didn't really prevent any of that from happening either. So it's an interesting historical question. I think what we can say about Julius Caesar, regardless of anything, at the end of the day was that rome was his number one priority and maybe that's the one super admirable thing about him he was there for his country i don't can't really call it that at the time but we'll say it for our purposes he was there for rome he was there for the republic and maybe that's what his legacy should be you know thank you so much for being here with me today for coming on this julius caesar ride excursion it was a lot of fun. Again, a lot of fascinating aspects. Let me know your thoughts, feelings, jokes, or gossip, and I will see you next time on Not Strictly History.